0: before Wellesley comes up, uh, Martin's going to come and bring us our reading from John chapter 10, reading starting from verse 22.
1: This section is entitled Further Conflict Over Jesus' Claims. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered round him saying how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah tell us plainly Jesus answered I did tell you but you do not believe the works I do in my father's name testify about me but you do not believe because you are not my sheep my sheep listen to my voice I know them And they follow me I give them eternal life And they shall never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand My father who has given them to me Is greater than all No one can snatch them out of my father's hand I and the father are one Again his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him But Jesus said to them I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said, I am God's Son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works." that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan, to the place where John had been baptising in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus.
0: Thanks, Martin. Do, we do keep that open before you and let's pray for God's help. Father in heaven, we thank you that once again you are a speaking God. We ask you that you would speak this evening into our lives and our hearts. Lord, as we come to your word, would your spirit be at work in the depths of our hearts, helping us not only understand these things, but with your help to apply them to our lives, that we might be a people who are devoted to one another and a people who serve you for the glory of your name. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, until this moment in John chapter 10, Jesus has been unfolding what he calls a figure of speech in verse 6, it's a, it's a farming metaphor that involves sheep and shepherds and, and a gate that you walk through to the safety of the sheep pen and green and pleasant pastures. But also in this picture we find wolves and thieves and robbers who are there to, to destroy life, to take away life. In contrast to the good shepherd who came to both protect and provide for his sheep. And we summarized the first 10 verses of of John chapter 10 two weeks ago now with these words on the screen. Jesus as the true shepherd of the sheep, is in the business of gathering. He's gathering a flock of weak, wandering, wayward sheep like us to himself in order to give them life. And as we saw last week in, in verses 11 through to 21, this rich, abundant life, this life to the full, as Jesus calls it in verse 10, comes to us through the Good Shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. But not only does he lay it down, he takes it up. Again, you may remember this from last week, verse 18. No one takes it from me, says Jesus, but I lay it down of my own accord. The Lord Jesus is in charge. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And these words specifically, I think, in verse 18, but no doubt other words that have come before, cause great division As you may remember in verse 19 through to verse 21, there's division over the identity of Christ. And now as we move into our our third and final section of John chapter 10, we'll see that the, the debate concerning the identity of Jesus is still simmering. And simmering is a good word because things, as we'll see, are about to boil over. But before we come to the heart of the debate and the real conflict. We need to spend a few moments just understanding the setting, which is pretty significant to the discourse that follows. So just have a look down, if you would, at verse 22 and 23 that set the scene for us this evening. Then Jesus, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Now, the festival of dedication that you see there in verse 22 was an annual ceremony where the Jewish nation looked back about 200 years to a time when Jerusalem had been overrun by their Syrian neighbors and the temple had been ransacked and and polluted with all kinds of, of pagan idols and statues. But in 164 B.C., A guy called Judas Maccabeus, who you'll see there on the screen, led a bit of an uprising amongst the Jewish people that eventually became strong enough to overthrow their Syrian oppressors. And they reclaimed Jerusalem, and they rededicated the temple. They cleansed it of all the pagan idols. Hence the festival of dedication as they remember the cleansing of Jerusalem and the temple. Now 200 years on as we come to John chapter 10 in the day of Jesus It must have felt like history was repeating itself With jerusalem now under the thumb of roman rule and occupation And politically things could not have been more tense And the question that must have been on everyone's lips as as jesus arrived into jerusalem was this Was jesus going to be the new judas maccabeus? Was he the, the long-awaited Messiah? Was Jesus the guy that was going to come and liberate Jerusalem from Roman rule and occupation? And so the Jews gather around Jesus in verse 24, and they ask the question that lifts the lid on this boiling pot. And you see it there in verse 24, the Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus, stops speaking in those stupid parables of sheep and shepherds. Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Are you the new Judas Maccabeus or not? And you can feel the tension in the air, can't you, as, as they wait for the response of Jesus, which comes in verse 25. And it's a response that brings us to our first point of four this evening. Jesus is essentially teaching four things in this passage. And the first thing he does is to reaffirm his identity. Look at verse 25 and 6. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Jesus says, I did tell you. I've told you again and again and again. And not only have I told you, but I have shown you, verse 25, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Turning water into wine. The feeding of the 5,000, healing a man born blind, the raising of Lazarus, which is coming next in chapter 11. These works, says Jesus, they testify about me. And it's why they're called signs in John's gospel, because they're like big signposts pointing clearly to the fact that Jesus is God. And so Jesus says, you know what? If you want to know if I'm the Messiah... Well, guess what? I'm not going to get drawn into that politically loaded language. I'm not the Messiah you have in mind. I'm nothing like Judas Maccabeus. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, Jesus did come to liberate. Jesus is the Messiah. But he didn't liberate with, with physical force and overrun the room of the Romans. He wasn't like Judas Maccabeus. The Lord Jesus came to liberate his people, to free his people, not from physical occupation, but to liberate people from sin and God's judgment against sin. Jesus is the Messiah. He is our divine Savior. Which is why he goes on to say in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Not just one in purpose, but one in nature. God the Father and God the Son united together in their saving work for mankind. So firstly, Jesus reaffirms his identity as our Savior, as the Messiah, and as God's Son. But then Jesus goes on to explain why some people don't believe in this. Have a look again what he says in verse 25 and 6. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe. Why? Because you are not my sheep. Percy Shelley, the the 19th century poet, who was also a fairly prominent atheist, once asked this question, which was a bit of a challenge to the existence of God. And it's it's a question that's been hijacked by many or, or piggybacked, if you like, by many over the years. And this was his challenge against God. If God has spoken, why is the universe not convinced? If God has really spoken, if there is a God and he has spoken loudly and clearly, then why is the universe not convinced? Why are the Jews here not convinced? Why are there so many people around us in our own lives who are not convinced? And you see, the assumption behind that question is this. If there is a God, then surely he would have spoken more clearly. Surely he would have convinced more people. And he hasn't. Conclusion, there is no God. But the problem as we've seen already as Jesus has stated here doesn't lie with any lack of clarity on God's behalf. Jesus' words are clear for all to hear. Jesus' works are clear for all to see. The issue isn't with God and his lack of clarity or his lack of sufficiency in any way. The issue is the hardness of the human heart. Do you see that? You do not believe because you are not my sheep. You don't belong to me, says Jesus. You don't listen to me. You don't know me and you refuse to follow me. You are not my sheep. And so when people around us fail to put their trust in the Lord Jesus and follow him, let's not be too quick to point the finger at God. He moved heaven and earth for our sake. God's son left heaven and walked in this world as the good shepherd to gather up his sheep by laying down his life for them. The problem isn't with God and the sufficiency of Jesus' work or the lack of clarity in what he said. The problem lies with sheep who have wandered away and who are failing to listen to him. So where does that leave us? Where does it leave them? Well, it leaves them in an incredibly vulnerable place outside the care and the protection and the provision of the good shepherd. Firstly, Jesus reaffirms his identity, our Savior and God's Son. Secondly, Jesus explains why people don't believe, because you are not my sheep. But then, quite beautifully, Jesus goes on to give assurance to his true sheep. Look down at the words which Neil began the service with. Verse 27, my sheep, says Jesus, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. I went to um, a funeral about 11 years ago. Now a funeral of a 10 year old boy who I knew his, his brother came through the work, the training program at Christians in Sports. And In ways, his death was expected. He wasn't expected to live more than six months, but in God's grace, he gave him 10 years. And probably during this funeral, it was one of the most moving experiences, moments of my life, because they showed a video, a video that had been taken one week before Josh Pannell died. And in that video, Josh Pannell, 10 years old, 10-year-old boy who'd listened to the call of the good shepherd simple faith in so many ways but a rock-solid faith he spoke on this video about his absolute confidence in jesus in the face of death and you know what the words were across the order of service words that summarize what's going on here In John chapter 10, safe. That was the, that was what it was called. Safe in the Father's hands. Perfectly safe. Perfectly secure in the loving, firm hands of our Savior. No one will snatch them out of my hand, says Jesus. That means no one. When people come to Christ, when he takes hold of his people, no one will snatch them out of my hand, says Jesus. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. What beautiful words of assurance they are. The good shepherd doesn't just protect and provide for his sheep, he preserves his His sheep, he keeps his sheep. He looks after his sheep and he will hold his sheep tightly all the way to heaven. And that's why he concludes, as he does in verse 30, I and the Father are one. One in purpose and one in nature, committed to the same eternal work of saving, of satisfying and of securing our souls forever. There's probably no greater words of assurance that we will find in the scriptures. But sadly, as Jesus offers these words of encouragement and assurance, the Jews aren't listening. They're not listening to the words of life and assurance. Instead, they're angered by his claim to deity. Can you see that in verse 31? Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? See that word there, the beginning of verse 31, again. You see, this is a new territory. For Jesus, in fact, it's the third time in John's Gospel that they have attempted to take Jesus' life. We see it back in chapter 5 verse 18 and again in chapter 8 verse 59. And on each occasion, it is Jesus' claim to divinity, to be divine, that pushes the Jews to this attempt on his life. And you see it again in verse 33. We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied. But for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. It is the claim of Jesus to be divine, which pushes the people to this place. And Jesus answered, look, verse 34, It is not written, is it not written, sorry, in your law? I have said you are gods. If you call them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside... What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? As they stand there with rocks in their hands, what does Jesus do to defend himself? He takes them back to the good book. He takes them to Psalm 82 verse 6, these words here, I said, and this is God speaking, God is the I, and He is speaking to His people, I said, you are gods, you are sons of the Most High. I think actually there's probably more going on, but I think what Jesus is saying is actually quite simple. You see in Psalm 82, God, big G, The great creator, Yahweh, God with a capital G, is speaking to his people. And he refers to his people as gods, with a little g, and as sons. And so Jesus is saying, if your own scriptures refer to people as gods, and sons of the Most High, why are you stoning me for using the same language about myself? If normal everyday people in the Scriptures, in God's Word, if he can refer to them as gods and sons of the Most High, then surely it's an appropriate title for him who the Father set apart and sent into this world as his very own. In fact, later when we come to Philippians chapter 2, we'll see that no name, No name is too high and lofty and exalted for the Lord Jesus. Familiar words, but glorious words. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those Jews that picked up stones to throw at Jesus would one day bow before him and acknowledge who he truly is, the exalted Saviour and God over all. The first thing Jesus does is to reaffirm his identity. The second thing he does is to explain why some people don't believe The third thing he does is give assurance to those who are already his. And lastly, Jesus continues to hold out life to others. Verse 37 and 38. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. I don't know what you see as you read the words of Jesus there. Do you know what I see? I see incredible patience. Jesus is stood before a mob with rocks in their hands, their arm is drawn back, ready to strike. And instead of turning and running, Jesus stays and he holds out life one more time. He holds out life again to these people, just as he did on the cross. Remember those words as the, as the passers-by are hurling insults at Jesus. And Jesus cries out to his Father and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Even in Jesus' deepest moments of personal crisis, he is still thinking about the salvation of others and he holds out life once again. You see, God is a God of incredible grace and forgiveness and patience because he keeps on holding it out. As we read here in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient. People turn their back on him again and again, and in his glory, he continues to hold out life. But sadly, in verse 39, it's an invitation that is once again spurned again they tried to seize him but he escaped from their grasp you see God is a wonderfully patient God but the day will come when the door is shut and the Lord's patience runs out and he turns his back on people for the first time and for the last time you see today right now today is the day of salvation Today is the day to turn to Christ. Today is the day to follow him as your good shepherd. And today is the day to call others to do the same. Remember last week, chapter 10, verse 16, I've got other sheep, says Jesus. There's other sheep still to come in. Today is the day of salvation and today is the day to call other people to trust Christ for themselves in the knowledge that there is other sheep who Jesus will draw. And so as we come to the last few verses of this section, have a look at verse 40 and 42. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptising in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true and in that place many people believed in Jesus there's no doubt these verses are here to encourage us in contrast to the unbelieving Jews that Jesus has just left behind there are those who will believe and follow just need to look around don't you look around and catch Dave Green there at the back next week next Sunday morning He's going through the waters of baptism. Whatever months ago, four or five months ago, lost sheep, wandering on the hills, vulnerable, needs Christ. Call of the gospel goes out. Here's the gospel. People care. People love. He's not lost anymore. This time next week he'll have gone through the waters and affirmed publicly that Christ is his saviour. Repent and be baptised and you will receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's come to many, right? Different times, different stages. You hear the call of Christ and he draws you to himself. Those are the true sheep. Verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and wonderfully they follow me. And in that place, many people believed in Jesus. It's the reality of life, right? Opposition will come the way of the believer. People will refuse to follow Christ, but all the way through the Scriptures and all the way through our journey through life, We will see God graciously call people back to himself. And so as we finish our journey through John chapter 10, the question that I think we must finish with is the question that we began with. Are you one of his sheep? Are you one of his sheep? You see, everyone's a sheep, right? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We're all sheep. The question, are we his sheep? Have we responded to the call of the Good Shepherd? Do you know him? Have you heard his voice? And are you following him today? Because if you are, there is safety. Remember, there is safety and there is plenty. Because in Christ we have a good shepherd who not only saves and satisfies but one who secures our souls for all eternity we're going to respond in a moment, I'm going to invite the band to come straight up, we're going to respond by singing and um, we're going to stay seated uh, to sing this song um, but it's a song that reminds us that he will hold us fast it's a song that recalls a number of the truths from John chapter ten. But before we sing, I'm just going to read you those words again from verse twenty seven to verse thirty. And could I say to you this evening, if you've got if you've got any concern whatsoever that you're not one of his sheep, any concern that you that you haven't got that assurance in Christ, could I encourage you to not leave here this evening without speaking to me or to, to somebody else? But let me read these words from 27 to 30, then we'll stay seated and we'll sing of our wonderful God who saves and satisfies and secures forever. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one.